wild to think four years. That's almost half a decade, and like, there's still been nothing. Cause the demands are are straight up the same demands that, um, were we're in like, the other demands freshman from, year. Yeah. Freshman year. I'm like, I've gone through like five different hairstyles since those demands. Like, we need to get on it. <laughs> I'm like, there's been it's a, a fun lot of way of looking at it. Yeah, oh, that's five the... different hairstyles. Yeah, I'm like, a lot has happened. I've had five different hairstyles. Like, I have, like, there's has been so many changes. And, and it, it's, that's literally how I compare like changes like that. It's like I look at things that are constantly changing and then I look at things that are staying stagnant. And I'm like, I've literally been five different people and nothing has happened. Yeah. Just, and, and I think it's interesting because, um, at the like um student leadership bank not banquet the barbecue we have in the beginning mm, of the yeah. year i remember specifically the president said we need to not talk the talk but walk the walk mm-hmm. and and i'm all about especially when words are said like that i'm all about holding people accountable for that so i'm like i remember you said this at the mm-hmm. student leadership barbecue when you give your speech and 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 you know you're right because the talking is happening and 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 not in terms of like in a good way like it's by talking i mean it's in the mission i think a mm-hmm. lot of schools suck like <laughs> that's just a given a lot of schools yeah. are not doing the work but higher education the, as in as in like yeah. as it's form Every formed from cishet which, white. rich white men yes um and but no school is as i i haven't seen a school that is so bold as we are to put it in the mission statement and then to not be doing it i think that that's what always got me freshman from freshman year to now in most institutions missions which is really surprising then i think i i I haven't seen any that's like social justice and like oh right there like leslie's but I feel like then maybe we don't know what social justice means. And, and that, yeah. we need and to that's a whole other too. conversation. It is. It is. The sun reflects off the sand. Welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. I am welcoming you to another episode of, a, of the podcast for daily disruptors and everyday educators, the uh, EduPunks Podcast. That's what you're listening to. Hey, what's up? Uh, you probably uh, picked it up from the, the opening. I'm not leading this conversation this week. This week's conversation is being led by a familiar voice, someone we had on the podcast just a couple weeks ago, my best friend, my partner, Katie Ham, who's sitting right next to me. Say what's up, Katie Ham. Hey. What's up? You know that one of my friend's bands in college was called a familiar voice. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful name. Zach McCluskey's. Oh, hey, Zach. Zach was just here in April running the Boston Marathon. I hope to do that someday. Cool. I, I probably won't. I will never even remotely attempt to do that. Yeah. Um, we should race. Absolutely not. <laughs> I would literally just sit down. Like, that's that's the kind of competitive that I am. Like, I don't care, so I would just sit down. <laughs> well, this week, Katie did their first conversation uh, for the podcast in a little bit of a deviation from our regular format. We're trying out something new. 
Katie's going to be having some conversations. And this week, Katie chatted with uh, their student, Anael Saeed. And why did you pick Anael for your first uh, interview? Well, I think, first of all, Anael loves podcasts. There you go. We had a big conversation about that recently. Um, So that's kind of what spurred the initial conversation of, like, if she would be interested in doing it. Uh, but, like, the main reason is that she is one of the student co-directors of our Common Links Diversity and Social Justice Retreat, uh, which is an entirely peer-led uh, retreat that's solely focused on issues that are surrounding identity and experience. And uh, she's done a lot of cool stuff with it, which you'll hear in our conversation. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the basic gist of it. Cool. And Anael's a pretty big activist on your campus, right, over at Leslie? Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> you know her opinions, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> but hey, I'm no different. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this is a good space for opinions. Uh, but before <laughs> we get to the conversation, just want to give you all a heads up. This week, you're going to hear some tunes from Counterintuitive Records. Uh, you're going to hear a song from the new Nervous Dater album later. You're also hearing some tunes from Pictures of Vernon. That's what's going on at the beginning and in some of the interludes. So uh, make sure to stick around to hear some more of that stuff a little bit later. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends uh, and rate and review and subscribe and get more folks to listen to the podcast. That'd be really sick. I'd love that. I'd love to just have this spread a bit more. Uh, But for now, I think that's all we got. You have anything else to say before the conversation starts, Katie? Not that I can think of. Tight. Well, let's get to this conversation. Hey, uh, I'm here with Anael Saeed, who is one of my students, which is pretty cool. And I, I kind of just want to let her uh, introduce herself. Thanks for having me, Katie. <laughs> um, so my name is Anael Saeed, and I am a senior at Leslie. I'm studying biology with a minor in cognitive neuroscience. I'm originally from Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a bit about myself. And I just got to Leslie, just, I don't know, I was looking for schools, and it, it honestly became the most affordable option, and I met some really great people, kind of like browsing the school, and they kind of um, convinced me to come here, and that's how I ended up here. All right. Well, do you want to talk about what Common Links is, and how you got into it and how you became the person leading it? Yeah. So Common Links, I kind of walked into this campus and it, it was kind of already here. My first year was the first year that Common Links was an off-campus program. And I attended as a retreatant with a couple of my friends. And we kind of had a critical eye the whole time, just making sure we're taking in information and also like giving feedback. I think overall, like a lot of the programs that I attended freshman year were pilot programs in a way so they were really looking for that student feedback and that student involvement so that's kind of how I got involved in it so I applied to be a facilitator my sophomore year and I got the position and I got to present on a couple of topics and through that I was able to learn about um, my own like working style and leadership style and talking about these sensitive topics and that is kind of how I, I stayed involved in the program and senior year which is this year I um I have the role of being a director along with another student and that just encompasses like training facilitators and 
kind of making connections on campus to collaborate and make sure that this retreat is something that we're doing on campus, off campus, and like that kind of aligns with the mission of the school. So we've got some people who uh, listen to this podcast who are from all across the country and may not have any idea what the Common Links Retreat is at all. Yeah. So from scratch, what is it? Um, So it is a diversity education retreat, and there are many different ways like our retreatants, alums kind of describe their own experiences with it. But overall, like what we try to do and the mission of the retreat is to educate each other and uplift each other's experiences and through that we can learn how to better like be how to like be a better ally to certain like identities and um maybe experiences that we're not grappling with but experiences that we could do better at uplifting and like shining a light on so overall it's a diversity education retreat what are some of the topics you cover Oh my God, we cover a lot of topics. So we cover stereotypes and privilege, sexuality, religion, race and ethnicity, gender, allyship, ability, socioeconomic status. And we kind of cover those in depth with activities, presentations, and overall dialogue and, and hearing each other's experiences about these different topics. So what made you interested in attending the first time you went? The first time I went, <laughs> I was, I, I kind of, I was that freshman who like wanted to apply to everything that I feel like I could, I could say something about. And, um, I, I saw, I saw like a very attractive poster and I was like, wow, like I'm going to do this, like, because it seems cool. Um, I didn't, I really didn't know anything about it. And like I shared earlier, it was kind of like their first year taking the, the retreat off campus. So I, I didn't even ha- hear a lot of word of mouth about it. So I was just interested in, in seeing what these other students had to say about the, the topics that the poster advertised. Being a predominantly white institution, I was extremely skeptical that, like, I would go to this retreat and, like, hear, like, the best stuff about race and the best stuff about, like, any marginalized identity. So I, I kind of went, honestly, with the intention of seeing what, what they had to say and, and see what I, what, I, what I could change, essentially. Being a black woman on a predominantly white institution, going into this diversity retreat, maybe like questioning it, were you happy with what you saw? What were some of the things that maybe you took away from it? And what were some of the things that you thought you wanted to change after seeing it? Yeah, I think I had I had a lot of feelings going as a not just all of those identities, but as a first year student who was also trying to to learn about herself. And some of the positive stuff that I took from it was the ability to reflect because we were allowed a lot of time to reflect on information that was already shared. I think one of the things that uh, made me want to like be on staff and make changes with this retreat was the focus on exposing certain certain traumas in a way to a, a majority group to make them understand um, that, wow, like look at this picture and look at this video and and this is how, like, you're going to understand that racism exists. And this is how you're going to understand that um, sexism exists and this, that, and the other. And I feel like we don't need to, like, expose people's, like, traumas in a way that is re-traumatizing them to make mm-hmm. the majority group understand. And that was a main theme. Whether or not that was done without intent, most likely it probably wasn't done with that intent. But mm-hmm. it was, the focus was on the majority learning and not... And, and that's, that, that's how I received a lot of the information that year. So I think I wanted to shift that focus because I do think that uplifting the experiences of the 
of of minorities and um, educating majorities can coexist without re-traumatizing and putting a lot of that emotional effort on the minority groups that were present at the retreat. So now that you're in the role where you have been able to change it, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to? Um, The retreat is coming up soon. Yes. And now that you have kind of creative control, what are you excited about? I'm just really excited about our staff this year. I think we've been able to do a lot of of small changes, but that allow that shift in mission and that shift in focus to, to happen. Some small things, like for example, we always give resources to our participants in the form of a binder through our presentation activities. And a lot of them in the past, in the retreat that I attended, were like book titles and articles and, and podcasts to listen to if you're trying to be a better ally. And or if you're trying to, to learn more about the certain identity, the certain religion that is minoritized and this, that, and the other. But there was never really any resources that, like, hey, if you're if you're grappling with, like, being a, a black student at a PWI, like, here's here are some resources. There were never resources um, for the experiences that we were trying to, to uplift. So I think this year I'm excited to see how our staff and our, our facilitators have incorporated that in their presentations. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see how the retreatants receive that. That's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear how it goes. Thank you. Um, so uh, the entire retreat is run by students put together by students. Why do you think that's important? I feel like it's one of the most important things because when you go to college, like you're obviously going to interact with like higher ed professionals and people who, you know, who study this and and all of that. But the true connection for me so far has happened with hearing my peers' experiences. And I feel like that's really important when it comes to topics like stereotypes and privilege, sexuality, religion, like all the topics we cover, because it allows us to humanize the, the experience. You know, it's not an article that we're reading on BuzzFeed. It's not a HuffPost article. It's a it's a fellow Leslie student talking about an experience that they had. And I feel like that's where the most genuine education takes place is just hearing other people's experiences and reflecting on that and reflecting kind of what is your place in experiences like this. So what do you think makes it different from like if it were to be a faculty person educating Mm -hmm. like how how is that received differently from the participants yeah I think with the the main thing that I I've I've been able to get from that peer education um, framework is that there's not much of a power dynamic with a faculty member you know I think a lot of times like faculty members like yeah I studied this I have my PhD in that and this that and the other but one thing that all of the people at this retreat has is like a PhD in their own experiences. <laughs> so they are able to like break that power dynamic so that there isn't any kind of hierarchy. And, and yes, there are student facilitators and we've been working all year in this, that, and the other. But the number one thing that we do at this retreat is, is break that power dynamic because we're able to be vulnerable and have honest dialogue about all these, these intense topics. And do you maybe want to talk a little bit about how you actually train the people who are facilitating. And I know, like, I was able to come in for one of the things, and that kind of plays really well to what you were just talking about, because we were talking about traumas and trigger warnings um, and the importance of that uh, in, in, like, knowing how to interact with maybe people who might be experiencing that during the retreat. And that got really real with you, you all sharing 
a lot about your experiences. And I really like the PhD in your own experiences. That's good. <laughs> um, Thanks. Uh, so maybe talk about like how you have some external people come in and just like some of the work you do sharing with each other. Absolutely. Um, a lot of the training that we do, like I shared before, like starts with our own group and we do bring outside people. But in the first couple of meetings, we do a lot of personal work just to try to get to know the team and do a lot of group dynamics work. Because the number one thing that like I always say to them is like, we can't do this vulnerable work if we're not being vulnerable with ourselves. We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to have a successful retreat if we're not vulnerable as a staff. So we do a lot of like personal sharing and that looks a lot of different ways some people do like poetry about their own experiences we do timelines that highlight like experiences that you've had that kind of led you to this point of like wanting to educate others and we do bring outside people we bring um different faculty members that kind of have partnered with common links like since the beginning to talk to us about like some of the topics we cover you know we have um professors coming in to talk to us about sexuality religion and this that and the other and with having people come in to our meetings we we always share with them like the mission of what we're trying to do so we we always talk about you're a faculty member and you're coming in but like it's a vulnerable space so you might come in to talk about sexuality and one of our staff members might share something so it's not a classroom dynamic we had katie come in to talk to, to us about trigger warning and like they shared earlier like it was a very vulnerable space and so we try to mirror what we do at the retreat with our trainings even if we have external people coming in it's kind of let, letting them come into that common like space and and be vulnerable and through that we've had the most successful trainings that completely aligns with the way that i view my work too because i you know i share a lot of yeah. myself so i think being vulnerable is really important because it shows people you're human yes and to the extent that you are comfortable sharing do you want to talk about like what led you to actually wanting to be a like social justice educator yeah I feel like there was a lot of things, a lot of um, different experiences that kind of like shaped my mind into being like, this is what I want to do. I think being at a school like Leslie, that is a predominantly white institution, um, and there's a lot of pride about how liberal and accepting that the campus is, but as a black woman, and just, just to disclose, just those two minority identities, I faced a lot of, a lot of hardships just like getting through like any systems in the school. Like, even just talking about my experiences or um, talking about a negative experience that I may have had in a classroom or in a leadership position, just because of the vessel that those experiences were coming out of, there was a lot of, like, resistance to them. And that was at not just the peer level, but the institutional level. And because I felt the most connection and, and I honestly felt the most hurt when it was coming from my fellow peers. I was like, clearly some education needs to be done. And that's kind of what shaped my mind into wanting to educate my peers um, in hopes that like other students on campus that have minority identities won't have to deal with some of kind of what I dealt with in the past and in the present. All right. So we're going to take our first break from the podcast with Katie Ham and Anayel to bring you our first ad. This week, our first sponsor is Free Negro University. You might remember Free Negro University from our seventh episode with the company's owner, Josh Odom, one of my former students. Look at the connections. My students, Katie's students, it's fantastic. 
all, doing a whole bunch of fun activist stuff. I love it. We work with great, great students. Now, Josh has been creating and printing more apparel for your activist needs if you want and need them. Uh, Free Negro University is a collective of black scholar activists devoted to absolute freedom for all black lives. They pride themselves on imagining and building new worlds where people can be unapologetically themselves. Uh, make sure that you visit the temporary store at teespring.com slash stores uh, slash free-negro-university. You can also find Free Negro University on all social media by just searching for Free Negro University. Pretty easy. You can get a whole bunch of shirts. They are fantastic. They are bold. They make a statement. And I am a big fan of them. And I wear one of mine all the time when I run around my neighborhood. Now let's get back to this conversation with Katie and Anil. All right. So we already talked a little bit about being at a predominantly white institution. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, maybe more in detail of what some of your experiences have been, both on like the classroom side and the leadership side and just being constantly around a majority white people all the time? Yeah. I feel like being a senior, I have a lot of time to reflect on this because lately I've been thinking about what has the last four years looked like for me. In the classroom specifically, there are different things that I like never want to do to like bring attention to myself. A lot of times I am one of the only like black folks in the classroom, like being a science major, that's like, I'm literally the only black person in my classes, specifically senior year. And there's different little things that like I think about that... I wonder if, like, my peers think about, for example, I never actually take notes on my laptop because I'm afraid that my professor is, like, assuming the worst, that, like, maybe I'm texting on my laptop and I'm not actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I always, like, do, like, handwritten notes just to, like, show that I'm extremely attentive and that, like, I'm not texting or something like that. I rarely ask questions because I always try to tie my questions with my interest. Um, I'm always trying to ask questions about how, like, the medical field is, like, attending to patients of color and how they're not or um, any question that like ties my interests together and there's always a lot of resistance to that not just from my professors but from my peers as well um, I'm, in a, I'm in a clinical neuropsych class now and um, we're talking about assessments and I spoke up and shared how I don't think an assessment like that would work if the person assessing the test had any biases towards people of color and everyone was like extremely resistant and talked about um, how that doesn't, like, invalidate, like, the work of the clinical neuropsych field. And things like that of just constantly invalidating the questions and statements that I have to share just to have to get a dialogue going. So that's kind of, like, my experiences in the classroom. That is fascinating that, I mean, like, I've experienced people just completely invalidating opinions that align with my identity and not theirs, but, like, why, especially if you're, like, the only person of color in the classroom, would they be like, no, yeah, you're not right. <laughs> like, I'm, so, I'm the I'm only so one confused. here that's experiencing this. <laughs> I'm so confused um, why, wow. why that's a thing. As a student leader, I think, like I shared earlier, um, since freshman year, I've, I've been trying to get involved. And as as a senior and, like, reflecting on all these these things that I've done, all these clubs that I've participated in, 
there's like the theme of resistance towards like anything that I do ends up being like a constant thing. So I was a CA for the last couple of years. Uh, I've been doing common links and things like that. I think there's just always resistance when I have any feedback to share because it's always taken as aggressive and something that's like extra. And, and sometimes I have my white peers like literally give the same message and it's obviously taken differently. So trying to navigate all of that when I care about the stuff that I'm involved in on campus is hard. And, and oftentimes like, I just kind of have to like put that on the back burner and just like, like, I'm just not going to be involved with this anymore. Like, I'm just not going to do this leadership position because it ends up being a bit, a bit much mentally because like sure. trying to be a student leader, I'm, I'm just trying to like promote positive change on the campus. Um, and sometimes that positive change won't happen if we don't look at the things we're doing negatively. And I have learned that people in the like institutional positions have a hard time like reflecting on um, things that could be better because they take it very personally instead of just like, this is something that needs to be reflected upon so that positive change could take, sp- could take place on the campus. And as a student, all of that just kind of ties in. As a, mm-hmm. Just as a person on the campus, um, because I'm living on campus, so like I'm constantly here and you know, different places remind me of like this one incident, this one racial incident, this one, uh, you know, classroom where this teacher said the N word and like all of these things are constantly going through my mind. Um, so it's not the most positive thing. (laughs) That happened? Yeah, it did. It constantly happens. It literally happens. Um, it happens a lot in like literature classes where they're like, oh, it's in the literature and like, I'm like, just don't say it. Um, Oh my Lord. But yeah, there's, there's just a lot to unpack. Um, and it would take a long time, but I think just literally just being around, like if it's a nice day and I just want to chill on the quad, like someone's going to approach me about like, Oh, like, did you hear about like X, Y, and Z? Or, um, I heard you said this and I'm like, I I did not, I never said this. (laughs) I never did this. Um, it's a lot of also getting confused for other people of color and, and, and just a lot of things that like, when you just want to be that, like just regular, like college student laying out on the quad like it's a different it's a different experience because everything is 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 packed into the fact that you are black and like you that's not something that like you can just like get away from not something i want to get away from anyways but Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a lot to navigate um yeah it sounds like you also have to do a lot of educating upwards and I'm very sorry you've had those experiences. That's awful. And I mean, I, I'm not perfect by any means. I will definitely admit that. I've messed up and I hope that people see that I am willing to look at myself. But who knows? I honestly don't. Um, but, so you're, you have willingly put yourself in a position to educate your peers, which as uh, you've talked about is kind of like where it's the most hurtful for you but how is it like educating the people who are supposed to be educating you so I would imagine that would be infuriating yeah yeah it definitely is and it, it it's a lot of things I think with um like teaching up and educating faculty and staff on issues um I personally just like I spoke earlier about like breaking down like power dynamics like if I've had a negative experience with you and um, you've done something to hurt me, you've like 
I've had to leave a leadership position because, like, I couldn't work with you. Like, I don't care, like, what degree you have. Like, I don't care what, how many years of schooling you did because um, those same systems, like, perpetuate the very things that lead to, like, marginalizing my identities. So I think, personally, I always have to keep that in mind. Like, no matter, like, what degrees you have, like, it doesn't matter because you're still, like, causing harm. So that, that is usually like what I go into, to it thinking, because, um, if I am keeping in mind those power dynamics and all of that, I'm just kind of like working through their own system and like their own system that's marginalizing me. Um, and although it is extremely infuriating, I think it's something that has to be done, not by me or by people or marginalized identities, but faculty and staff have to hear the experiences of students. And I think that's where allyship comes in because it is infuriating for marginalized students to like continuously like speak on this while they are also experiencing it. So when allies in the classroom like hear these things and are in a position of power, they know their voice will be heard. Not that they should ever step over um, any of the voices of people who are marginalized, but they should be the one moving along that change because we're just out here trying to be like students and trying to live our lives and they get to do that. So they should use that privilege to to teach up and educate faculty members since they know their voice will be heard because it does get tiring. It gets exhausting um, to know that you're paying for a school, you're paying like thousands upon thousands of dollars. I mean, you're doing, you're the one doing the educating. You're the one sitting in these meetings and these like, um, focus groups on how to make the campus better and like it never moves along because it's just like and you're not getting paid like these faculty members and and staff members are at those meetings and they're getting paid but you're taking time out of your day out of your busy schedule to be there and change is still not happening so it's it's definitely exhausting oh so maybe we can shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the positive things that you have seen happen or the positive experiences you have had, even if there's only a couple of them, it might mm-hmm. be good. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Mm. Most of the positive experiences I've had with these things, honestly, have come from, like, talking with faculty and staff who are also of color. And, and that support is, like, amazing. There's not a ton of them on this campus, but the few that there are truly, like, go out of their way to make sure that um, we're doing okay. A lot of them had to navigate these issues themselves in their own campuses, like, back in the day or, or whatever the case was. So I think a lot of the positive positives that I've gotten out of kind of, like, talking to faculty and staff members or just, like, talking with my peers is, is having spaces that we create for ourselves that uplift our experiences. And then um, we get to talk to our mentors and different people about like the changes that can be made. And since they're already faculty members and staff members, sometimes they like help in passing the messages along and, and creating things like the diversity council and, and different focus groups that are actually like trying to at least put on events and, and create like spaces that uplift these experiences. Yeah, and Lilu, our director of multicultural affairs and student inclusion, mm-hmm. is 
Is this his second year? Yeah. And Man, that was he did a lot in his first did, year. Right. That's why I was like, there's no way it's only year two. Yeah, and that office, that entire office was, was the work of a ton of protests freshman year about yeah. the fact that there was not an office like that on campus. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that is exactly where I was going to go. That That is like one thing that from my time being here, and we've been here the same amount of time, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, Although I, I think you've been here like a month longer than yeah, I have. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And uh, Lilu and then uh, Maritza and Jen, who work in the Urban Scholars Initiative, have been making a lot of stuff happen yeah. to support students of color. And it's been really cool to see that over the last years, especially after hearing from you and some other students of color that there are not supports here at all, really. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you've got them, mm-hmm. and being a USI student, you've kind of got a built-in mentor in Maritza, yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I, it's literally for for myself, and and I think for a lot of of students of color at predominantly white institutions, it's truly finding people like the few that may exist on your campus that you can have a mentoring relationship with because it this kind of work gets personal like regardless of like what positions you in like what leadership positions it gets personal so definitely having people to go to is important so what do you think ideal like from your perspective uh, from your identities and from being a, a student educator on social justice and diversity what do you think ideal training for faculty and staff look like like if they had to come in and they had to learn xyz what do you think that would look like i i honestly like i i'll be the first to say it like i don't have all the answers and i think the one thing i've been able to learn and and identities that i hold privileges in that i have to like reflect on and learn is to make this work personal because removing yourself from the issue has like never worked. (laughs) And oftentimes in my experiences in this university, people just trying to like put a boundary on it in terms of like, Oh, like I have to like stay within these means and, and all of that. I always say in terms of specifically racial work, like you have to start at the basis of like, understanding like what your like what your place is when it comes to racism and all and all power dynamics um and all identities like recognizing where your where your privilege starts is the most important thing and i feel like oftentimes we'll have conversations about how to better serve our students how to better serve our students of color and how to better serve um or students that are dealing with this that and the other how do we serve better serve our first generation students and you can have as many meetings about that as possible, but the reason there might be a lot of boundaries like in the way of taking in that information and all of that is personal because you, you won't be able to understand how to better serve students if you don't know why you have a resistance for certain groups in the first place. So I think that an ideal training would look messy. It would look like, it would look personal. It would look deep. And I think... People get prideful in, in the fact that they have degrees. They get prideful in the fact that they've been working in a system for 30 years. Like, you could be making the same mistakes year after year for mm-hmm. three decades. Does not make the mistake okay. And and I feel like 
people because of that pride folks are not willing to to look and and reflect and see where they are causing harm and i feel like ideal training would look very personal and it would it would be very honest and i don't know if that's happening i wish it was um so i have to go to our trainings <laughs> that we get and it's just not enough time like they give us like an hour and a half and like that it's that's not even enough to talk about one topic mm-hmm. really and uh, you know being someone who has degrees <laughs> like that's i didn't have to take a social justice class in my masters i was lucky enough to have other places where i got that education but there are people who get into student affairs who have no idea. Yeah, I believe um, it. I mean, I've, I've seen it. Yeah. Uh. Um, and that kind of went, yeah, when you were talking, I was thinking about that the, those professionals that have been in the field for even, like, more than, you know, 10 years, um, students have changed a lot in the last 10 years because of access to higher education. And you're, you're a first-gen student, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so am I. And uh, it was really interesting we had a staff meeting and some of our more senior (laughs) staff members um were just discussing how like students are more sensitive nowadays i was like well here's why (laughs) yikes um and just like laid out like why that landscape has changed and i think it's just the and um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to the podcast that I did yeah, here, I did, but yeah. yeah, towards the end, I was just like, if you can't learn new things, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh. true. That's true because it is literally not the responsibility of the students. I think it's important to know that asking students to come to focus groups, asking students to come and meet this, asking students to have a say in who gets hired is not helpful if once they get hired or even the ones that are already working here are causing harm. And I think that we just also have to start calling things by their name. I feel like in higher ed, I was taken back by the language there was around the harm that, like, higher ed professionals cause. Um, Like the word microaggression. Ain't nothing micro about it, so, like... (laughs) that's not what it is it's aggression and it's harm and i think that's like that's a kind of honest conversation that has to take place like minimizing issues is not helpful minimizing issues to make the school look good to like keep the peace is not helpful like and and that's that's sure not what i do and i think specifically here that's important because it's it's in our mission statement like social justice and and all of that and and it's a lot of of um talking the talk and not walking walking the walk and, and I think that, that kind of like honesty and, and to some people that's brutal because it's like honest, <laughs> but that kind of honesty is, is the only way there will be any like productive training. Um, cause even the hour and a half that you're getting, if it's not honest work, that's an, an hour and a half that y'all wasting. Yeah. And actually that, um, it was really surprising going into it cause they did, there is like a structure to share things mm. and maybe, you know, we've just hired a a lot of people who haven't gone through a lot because <laughs> you uh, again you know I'm mm-hmm. willing to share literally pretty much everything about myself <laughs> so I wrote down some of like my really traumatic experiences that I've been through and the identities that I hold and literally during the entire thing I was like 
I use they, them pronouns. I do not want to be misgendered in a space where we are talking about why that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Happened anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Um, but when we were going around and we were supposed to, like, pair up with people and, and like, share with a couple people what was on our paper. And afterward, I had, like, four people come up, staff and faculty, come up to me and just be like, thank you for sharing that. Like, and I was just like, you don't need to thank me. You just also need to share share it. it, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think know. it's also important that those, if if there are there there are staff members and faculty members who are trying to learn, I, I'm not one to to like pat anyone in the back. Like you should be doing this anyways. It's important that they hold each other accountable, you know, because like students are tired of like trying to to educate these faculty members. So if if there if there are like faculty and staff members that are like, hey, like. You know, I, I'm doing this work too. It's kind of like hold each other accountable. Be like j- each other's gym buddies, but like social justice buddies or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have. I don't have like perfect recommendations, but hold each other accountable. You know, if if you you there are students that come to you and share these experiences, like make sure you're like, hey, um, you know, this is this is going on on campus, and and I know I've I've reflected on it have you and 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 where are you where are you located in in these issues because like everybody's playing a role in some way shape or form so i think like holding each other accountable like you said like don't thank me for sharing and like doing that personal work like you need to do it also is really important is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to say Um, i don't think so i mean pay students for the time that (laughs) they're that you're making them sit in these focus groups if you haven't found a, a, a way that works to get that student feedback then like you just have to think about like like universities wouldn't exist without students and i feel like oftentimes faculty and staff and higher ups forget that and it is um, amazing how frequently they yeah i've been in meetings at the multiple institutions that i've worked at where we'll be talking about something and it will be like 30, 40 minutes in, and no one has mentioned students yet, and I'm just, like, raising my hand in the corner, like, um, this is why we're here. Yeah, like, what student are you affairs doing? professionals, like, like, yeah. those positions and, and these things wouldn't exist without the students, so making sure that you are centering the students. I think it's, the, it's kind of the last thing that I want to say, and, and centering the students wholly, so, like, and, like, don't, um, don't be like, oh, I'm gonna think about, like, this aspect of the student perspective, you know, like, um, maybe socioeconomic status, but not look into the intersections of all of that. So, um, looking at that experience from a wholesome way, um, is important. All right. Now to take a quick music break for the podcast, I'm going to bring you some tunes from our friends at counterintuitive records. We heard from them a few weeks ago and they're back again with a new, a new band called nervous dater. Uh, Their new album just came out last week. It's called Don't Be a Stranger. Uh, The Nervous Dater is from Brooklyn. And you can purchase a copy of their album uh, for a name-your-own price at nervousdater.bandcamp.com or snag a physical copy from Counterintuitive Records at counterintuitiverecords.com. Counterintuitive Records is a DIY record label that is based out of Massachusetts. Uh, They find... Uh, new underground talent to release their music on vinyl and CD. They focus on finding hardworking young bands that are looking to get out there, get their music heard across all different genres. And uh, the creator of the label, Jake, has been working super hard 
for uh, the last couple of years trying to put out as much great music as possible to get it into your ears and can and will not stop until you have heard the music that he's putting out and and today is no different you're about to hear a song called saratoga off of the new nervous dater album don't be a stranger nervous feelings of a panic And on I yell, do the lightning round. What is the best concert you've been to lately? Oh, wow. The best concert I've been to. We were just talking about how you started going to concerts. So oh. I was like, I need to ask. It's not even oh, lately makes like makes me feel like I have to put a time like, oh, okay. Ooh. Makes me feel like I have to put a time thing on it. Okay. Um, best concert you've been to ever. To, okay. Be- Beyonce. Beyonce Formation Tour Philadelphia. Great show. Big Beyonce fan. 
And would that just be your favorite artist? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was also, also going to ask that oh, just in case, oh, but no, really, totally fine. Yeah, Beyonce, Chance the Rapper right now. Um, no Name, love those three artists right now. How about your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast is called Hey Girl, and that's literally how they started. I think I've mastered how they started um, by Alex L., who's a poet and um, a black woman and amazing. How about TV show or movie? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I'm not a big movie person, and currently I am re-watching old um, 90s TV shows, um, and I really like... um, Sorry, I really like Family Matters. Oh, man. It's a good show. I used to watch a show all the time growing up. It's so good. I don't know why. I just like it. I don't have to do any, like, work. I'm just, like, I'm just watching it. That's an interesting tangent. Yeah. I'm sure representation in... In media. Any media (laughs) is also probably... Can go on on forever. Yeah. I was trying to remember this other show, but I had, like, a brain fart, um... No, but th- that's that's my favorite '90s show. But I don't know why it's not coming up. It has Whitley Gilbert, Dwayne Wayne, and like these characters. It's like a spinoff. Like, um, oh my god, I'm not remembering it. So we're just gonna go. Yeah, if you, think, if you think, <laughs> oh, Family Matters is great. It's good. Um, how about your favorite color? My favorite color right now is mustard yellow. I've worn it every day. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> that makes sense months. to me because <laughs> I feel like that's all I've seen you wearing. But yeah. it looks good on you. So that's... thank you. Um, how about book? Oh, wow. Right now I'm reading this book called Homegoing, um, by this Ghanaian author. And that's my book right now. My favorite book of all time is Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde. I haven't read either of those, but maybe I'll pick them up. Great books. Okay. How about your favorite meal? Oh, my favorite meal. I love food. My favorite meal is this Haitian meal um, that's called legume, and you eat it with white rice and black beans. Amazing. I'll tell you my favorite song right now. Favorite song right now? Mystery of Iniquity by Lauren Hill. That's okay. the song I've been bopping to like twice a day. It's so good. I had a solid like a month over the summer where I was just listening to Lauren Hill. <laughs> I love Lauren. I love Lauren. Uh, yeah, I that found song. that I had... Uh, a couple of her albums in my iTunes over the um, summer, and I was like, wait, I have this? Yeah, Mr. of Iniquity, just, like, I feel like if I can just play one song at everything ever to just, like, remind everyone that the system sucks, it's Mystery of Iniquity, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and that's any system, for that matter. Yeah. Any system. Insert the system, the song applies. <laughs> it's really good. You should give it a listen and I, read the yeah. lyrics. Okay. Poetic. Do you listen to Saul Williams? I do not. Oh. I should start? Yes. Okay, I'll put it on my list. I think you love Saul. Um, Craig and I went to go see him, like, two years ago, maybe? Um, Amazing. He's a a poet and also makes music. I've heard that name, but I will put it on my list. Cy did his... uh, thesis that's where I work. heard yeah that, that's where I, <laughs> I was heard thinking that might be like, where it is why, why do I feel like um, guy? yeah cool yeah you should listen to that and then I I'm shall interested in what you think cool all right thanks for talking to me thank you for having me all right
There you have it. We did it. Or Katie did it. I didn't do shit this episode. Katie did it. That was great. Uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation that Katie got to have. Uh, how do you feel it went, Katie? It was fine. Yeah? I made some notes for myself on how to do it better next time. Nice. I think it went pretty well. You're always learning. You gotta have a place to start, right? I guess so, but I really hate that. Like, that's part of the reason why I still am, like, I haven't learned how to play guitar, because I just want to be good immediately. <laughs> and that's so disheartening that I can't just do that. Well, I mean, I've been half-acidly playing guitar for what? That's some male confidence there. Eight years, and I'm still crappy. Again, yeah. that's some real cis male confidence. If there's anything I am, it's confident. Ugh. <laughs> But I thought it went great. I thought you guys got into some really good conversations. It was uh, uh, really solid to hear more about the way you all do peer uh, education at Leslie. I'm still trying to figure out how to make it work on my campus because it's hard to get our students to engage in some of that stuff. So I I took notes. I, when, we, when we first listened through this, I was taking notes because I need to figure out how to make some of my students want to do some of this stuff because it seems like really cool work that y'all are doing. Yeah, I mean, I have no qualms with, like, how Anael's part of it yeah. went. Anael, <laughs> <laughs> you crushed it. Kitty Ham, got some work to do. No. <laughs> I'm very self-critical. Yeah. Aren't we all? As we should be. That's the only way we learn and get better, right, Katie Ham? Why'd you have to say it in that voice? <laughs> like, yes, you're right. And that was, like, patronizing. <laughs> you can't see this. I'm giving Craig a mean stare. They can feel it in the podcast world. They can feel the stare. But uh, if you enjoyed the conversation, uh, uh, Katie's going to do more of them. And Katie, uh, I think, is ensuring that they're going to be better, even though I thought this one was great. <laughs> so that means I'm we're gonna gonna, it's going to be even way better. It's going to blow your minds. Because, I, I mean, you started great. You started at a great level, so it's only just going to, like, explode or get incredibly terrible from here on out. There's yeah, only... well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Tell your friends. Have them rate and review and follow us on social media at edupunkspod, E-D-U-P-U-N-X pod. Or you can follow me at Craig Bidedman on social media. You can follow Katie Ham at Katie Ham, K-A-T-Y-H-A-M-M. Right? Correct. Kate. On everything. On everything. I'm kind of amazed that you got that. You, you... I'm an early adapter. Yeah, that's, there, I, that's all I can, I can think of to, for the explanation. Because your name is not... Your name is pretty common. No, it's not. I mean, it's more common than mine. Well, yeah. <laughs> vitamin is like 1% of the population or something. One? I don't even know. I wouldn't one. even say yeah. one. <laughs> I would say a percentage of one. I mean, I guess I don't know. Either way, there are not that many Katie Hams, but there are enough. There is more than just me. That's for sure. This outro is going really long and I hope folks uh, are enjoying it. I'm watching one of our cats scratch the ground because he thinks that that is how he covers up his poop. (laughs) Stupid tucks. (laughs) He's silly. Uh, Welcome to a day... In our lives, when we come home from work. 
And, and we're tired. I'm tired. <laughs> All right, we'll hear you'll hear from us next week. Take it easy. Let's get to work. <laughs>